excited to finish up. This is the final week of our series, Healthy Idolatry. A couple days ago, I was explaining this series to my daughter. We were driving along and letting her know, like, yeah, I mean, it's important to be healthy, but you don't want to make an idol about, out of it. You know, it's important to be healthy towards food, but you don't want to make an idol of it. And I kid you not, she goes, Dad, you should really read up on that. Like, you had way too many nachos last night. <laughs> to which I responded, watch your mouth! I didn't, I didn't really scream at her, but it was, <laughs> she made a good point, right? You know, like, it is important. We want to be healthy, but we don't want to fall into idolatry. This week, we're talking about self-care. It is important. It's important to have proper health care, to be healthy, but we don't want to make an idol of it. You know, I want to make sure, I want to have you guys repeat it just so you don't miss it, because we are pro being healthy. We're pro self-care. Last time you guys got to be healthy, last time you had to be idolatry, so I'll make you guys be healthy this time, and the pagans can be idolatry over there, all right? So here's the deal. Church, are we for being healthy? Yes. Pagans, I mean church, sorry. Are we for idolatry? No. Right? So that's what we're looking for. How do we have a healthy approach towards self-care but not go into idolatry? And I think that's the trick. We don't want to swing that pendulum to where we take this good thing and make it a God thing. That yes, I want you to practice self-care, but I don't want you to make an idol about it. Part of the reason we kind of went with this one is it's kind of trendy right now. It's a bit of a buzzword to practice good self-care, but maybe you're not familiar with it, so I thought it would be helpful to just start with a definition. When we say self-care, what are we talking about? So I've seen this and feel like this was helpful. Self-care describes the conscious act one takes in order to promote their own physical, spiritual, mental, and emotional health. That's good, right? I mean, that's a good thing. We want to be healthy. I mean, and it is broad. So that could be our, you know, nutrition, sleep. I mean, it could be a spiritual retreat, a getaway. I mean, even vacations, a lot of kind of our leisure activities, right? Why do we do them? Well, you know, it helps our emotional health, physical, exercising. So all these things, but I think our culture can easily kind of help us make an idol out of it. I mean, all the products out there to pamper ourselves, and you need to focus on you. I want you to have good self-care. But when does it cross that line? Yes, get a good night's rest. But is your night turning into a smooth 10, 11 hours? Like, okay, you might be getting a little too far. And when do you cross into that? I mean, even take reading your Bible. We're very pro-reading your Bible, That's good self-care, but when does it become an idol? The huge kind of self-care industry, kind of one of the things, the burdens that they have to get over is in all the articles I began reading, they kept having to push this to remind us, I kept coming across this to tell you that self-care isn't selfish. You need to take care of yourself, but no, that isn't selfish. Now, don't answer out loud. Right now, that sentence True or false? Self-care isn't selfish. Right now you're thinking, like, I feel like he's setting me up. And I am, trust me. Because I would say, true, but incomplete. 
So I do think that is true, but I do think it is complete. Because every time I want to say that just a blanket statement that self-care isn't selfish, here's what I want to say. Self-care isn't necessarily selfish. Right? It doesn't mean you're being selfish. A lot of self-care can be done out of love. I mean, the example that's been used before, it'll be used again, is when the mask drops in the plane, right? They always tell you, you know, in case of loss of cabin pressure, please, please. And they always tell you, make sure you got to put on your mask first. Then every parent goes, no way. I'm putting my baby, I'm putting my babies on first. I'm not getting into the mama bear side. I get if you want to put your kids on first, that's fine. But you get the point, right? You need to have your mask on because if you're dead, you're not helping anybody. And so it isn't necessarily a lot of self-care. It could be done, not selfishly, but the, it could be the, loving, the most loving thing you can do. I'd say that is what I'd say, but I'd also say this last one is true. Self-care absolutely can be selfish. Of course it can be, and if it is selfish, if it is ultimately a selfish act that you are pursuing, you know, take your pick, whatever it is for you, whatever recreation, leisure, retreat, yoga, all those things can be good. But ultimately, if it is selfish, then it is idolatrous. Because we're supposed to be living our lives for him, but anything we're doing just primarily for ourselves. Clearly it's selfish, but it is idolatrous. I have seen unbelievable acts of selfishness done in the spiritualized term of self-care. And this is a buzzword, and I'm all for mental health, but that can be your filter for anything. Well, that's not good for my mental health, so I'm not going to do that. Going on a mission trip, oh, that could, be, that could be bad for my mental health. I'm not going to do that. You can justify any expense. Like, oh, I just need to, to be able to relax. I'm too stressed out. I need this 90,000-inch TV for me because it helps me de-stress, right, watching this. Like, that's helmet to helmet. Wah! It doesn't actually, de- that was a Browns joke. You got it. That's fine. Right? Oh, yeah, this is for my self-care. This is supposed to help me serve Jesus, but yet, ultimately, when we peel it back, is it therapy? I'm so pro-therapy, but even that, you could go selfishly, that I just want to be happy, and it's about me. You ever hear that? I just need some me time. You know, this is the year, 2020, this is the year I love myself. That phrase drives me up a wall. Because one, it is nonsensical. Now, there's a half-truth in there. Absolutely. You know, people don't value themselves. They think they're worthless. You need to understand your worth as a child of God made in his image. But the phrase love yourself is nonsensical. To love is to be other-centered. To love me is to be me. You can't be, I'm going to love me other-centeredly. It's nonsensical. It doesn't make sense. You're either loving others Or I'm being selfish. Now, there's certain things I can do that I need to do so that I can better love other people. Now, we just bought a treadmill. It was on Amazon. We got a great deal, so I didn't feel too bad, right? But I didn't feel bad spending that, and it didn't, we didn't 
do it selfishly. Like we know, man, we need to exercise because I'm going to be a better spouse if I'm exercising. I'm going to be healthier. I'm going to have more energy for my kids. So when you're exercising, that's a great one, right? Are you exercising to escape your family or to serve your family? Some of you know the answer to that, <laughs> right? It's interesting. I was just talking to the, on the phone with somebody. And they're struggling. Like, they're just having a hard time. One, I will tell them what I told you. Like, we all need to give ourselves a little bit of a break. He's like, man, I'm in a bit of a funk. I'm like, bro, it's the dead of winter in Ohio in a pandemic. We're all in a funk, all right? Like, so cut yourself some slack a little bit. But here was the thing. Here's the lie that we believe, right? We're struggling. Life is hard. And we just thought, if I just had a little me time, which is actually like Merlot time, you know? That's, but if I just had more for me, if I just say, I'm every, I'm, all I'm doing is giving myself out. If I could just have a little bit more time, a little bit more stuff where I can just do what I want to do, that's what I need. Stop and peel that back for a second. Now, we've all thought that. Don't act like you haven't thought that. You're exhausted. Man, if I could just have a little bit more for me, do you really think selfishness is the answer for you? Like you're struggling and hurting, and being more selfish is what you need. And it clicked for both of us. Like, wait a minute, that's just a lie that we're believing. Now, there's good self-care, but just focusing more on me is not what I need to fill myself. I'm not more satisfied when I'm more selfish. You could probably say the opposite is true. These things that you're doing, are you living for those things or do those things help you live for Christ? I've been wrestling with golf recently because every time I go, I'm stressed out. Like I'm supposed to, it's supposed to help me like relax so I can come home and better serve my kids. You know, I come back, I'm like, golf was great. I'm so good at it. You know, I like, why am I doing this? Like the whole point. And that's another easy one. Think, you, do you honestly say, now there are times my wife tells me to go Spend time with guys, go golfing, because she knows it helps me relax, which is good to have some of those things so I can better serve them. But could you honestly say that about golf? Why are you golfing so much? Well, it helps me serve my family. And I love it. You know, like, I mean, we know you got to step back. So the question I want you to ask, so is your self-care, is it selfish or not? I want you to ask yourself, ultimately, why are you doing it? You may need to ask a couple whys. When I kicked off this series, sometimes our idol is kind of like three layers beneath. You know, well, why are you working out? Why are you exercising? Well, I need it for my stress, and it's good self-care, but ultimately, I want to look good. If you keep asking those whys, and the final why is I just want it. I want this house. I want this vacation. I want to go here then ultimately it is purely selfish and purely idolatrous because it is for me. And do you really think just being more selfish is what you need? Ultimately, why are you doing it? All self-care, and I'm going to ask you this, is it a means to an end or an end in and of itself? Proper self-care has to be a means to an end. The end has to be it helps me walk with Christ more. If you can't get there, then you need to stop or change what you're doing. 
You know, ultimately, why do you golf? Well, it helps me walk with Jesus. No, it doesn't. You're cussing the whole time. Like, either change the way you do it or stop. Why are you doing it? There's another filter. Is it something you have to convince your spouse to do or something your spouse is convincing you to do? My job is to love my family. And if I'm convincing, you know, my family all the time that I need to be gone, right? You know, let me go on another trip so I can go this and have this, you know, guy time. I need some bro time. Okay, is that for me or is that for her? Now, my wife and I, she will oftentimes, man, you need to go get some times with guys. She's telling me, get out of the house because she knows it's good for me. I don't think she's just trying to get me out of the house. But is that, do you think? I don't know. That's not what it is. I don't know. But you get the point. Like, she is trying. She knows it's good for me. She knows I'm a better husband. Are you convincing your spouse that you need to play softball another night of the week, you know, so you can better love her? Or is it something she's telling you, go do that? It's not a perfect litmus test, because maybe it's a sign you just have a bad marriage. I don't got time for that right now. But do you get what I'm saying? Am I wanting to go do that thing because it's going to help me serve my family, to serve my ministry? Vacations are a great thing. We just booked our vacation because it helps me be a better pastor here. Because let's be honest, y'all are tripping sometimes. Just crazy, and we need to get away, right? I love you guys, but you're tripping sometimes. It's okay to say, right? And it's healthy to get some time to refocus because I do love this church and I love you, these people of this church, and I want to serve and it's helpful. But am I living for vacation or does my vacation help me live for Christ? I think that's the filter I want you to think through. Okay, this thing I'm doing, is it for him or is it for me? Because it ultimately can't be both. That's the question of idolatry. Ultimately, why are you doing that? If your ultimate goal in your life is to be happy, to have a happy life, if it is yourself, then the path is selfishness. The path is pleasure. But look at this. If ultimately the goal of your life is Christ and serve him, it's sacrifice. That's the question I wanted you to think through. Ultimately, why am I doing that? Is the most important thing to me to serve Christ, then I'm going to live a difficult life. I'm going to suffer. I'm going to sacrifice. But ultimately, I don't care. And here's the thing. We can just kind of gloss over and spiritualize it. But if ultimately I'm the center of my life, the goal is for me to be happy, then I can spiritualize it and call it self-care but it's ultimately just selfishness. Here's how I see proper self-care. I'm heading down that highway for Christ. I'm sacrificing. I mean, I, I am suffering for him. And just so I don't run out of gas, sometimes I gotta pull off at a rest stop to refill, to get my focus to stretch a little bit so I can get back on that road to sacrifice. We all need that. All of us don't have, you know, unlimited tanks. 
So yes, if you're flying down that highway, you're giving for him, you're sacrificing, you're suffering on his behalf. Yeah, some of you overvalue it. Some of you undervalue it. You're about to run out of gas. You have nothing left. Maybe you need to pull into a rest stop of self-care. And I don't know if that's therapy or you know, just getting a little bit of time away. But understand, man, my purpose is Christ. And does that help me live for him? And the call is sacrifice. The church is a story of those that suffered and sacrificed and practiced some self-care along the way to do that. It's not a story of people that worried about themselves and that God blessed them so they can just be blessed. There is self-care. Jesus often withdrew says what? To be with his father. He sent the disciples on a mission trip and said, hey, let's refill, let's recharge and spend time with the Lord. It has its place, but it's a rest stop. It's not the road. So I want you to pull off on that rest stop as needed, but be honest with yourself. Are you living for that rest stop? Or are you living for him? Is that serving you to serve him? That's the tell when it begins to get into idolatry. So I want you to look at this passage with me. This is Matthew 16, where the world says, pamper yourself. You need to indulge yourself. You need to worry about you. What does God say? This is Matthew 16. I'm picking it up in verse 21. From that time, Jesus began to show his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem and suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes, and be killed, and on the third day be raised. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him, saying, Far be it from you, Lord, this shall never happen to you. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are a hindrance to me, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. Let me stop there. Anytime you're going to rebuke Jesus, it's just never going to go well. We keep trying, but let's learn our lesson. I mean, goodness. <laughs> this has to be the worst rebuke I've, you know, given. That Jesus was sharp with some people. He calls Peter Satan. Like, get behind me, Satan. He could have called him Hitler, and that would have been a step up. Like, can you, is there a worse thing that you can compare somebody to? Like, isn't Satan kind of the top, right? He says, you're being Satan to me. Interestingly enough, this context from that time is just after Peter proclaims, you're the son of God. And this is just when, that famous verse where Jesus says to Peter, Peter, you're the rock on which I'm going to build my church. He goes from one of the greatest you know, like most impressive compliments to the worst rebuke that I can think of in all of Scripture. What is going on? Like, why such stern rebuke? As we studied Luke, I think some of it has to do from that time. What time is he talking about? When we studied Luke, you know, the life of Jesus, I think there was a massive hinge point in the middle of the book. You can probably split it up into two parts. If I just split it into two, here's what I would do. Jesus came to reveal who he was, and then once that got solidified, he came to do what his mission was on the cross. It's revealing himself and then moving to the cross. That's this time. 
Like, finally they get it. Jesus isn't just a teacher. This is God in the flesh, the very Son of God. And so Jesus says, okay, now that you know that, from that time on, I'm heading to the cross. And they totally miss it. Peter's like, wait a minute, you're God. Why are you going to die? You have power. You can use this for our benefit. And he says, no, my job is to come and die. Why does he call him Satan? I think partly because this is the original temptation that Satan brought to Jesus. You think of right when Jesus, the famous passage, is starting his ministry, he goes into the wilderness and does battle with Satan. There's a lot going on, but what's one of the main things Satan says? Jesus, look at this. You can have all this, and you don't need the cross. Why don't you take all of this minus the suffering? You can worry about you and still have everything. That was the original temptation of Satan. And that is what Peter is whispering to Jesus. You can follow God and not have to get into all this suffering stuff. You can have it all and still have the kingdom. And he says, get behind me, Satan. And how much of us are still tempted to believe that satanic lie? You can still live for you and have it all and get some of the kingdom. Those roads diverge. You have to pick. You can't pursue the American dream, this life that you wanted all for yourself and have Christ. How many times have you whispered that lie and temptation of Satan to somebody else? I had somebody in my office a little while back and they're like struggling. I feel like I connected with this. I got to know this guy's story. You know, we connected kind of brother in Christ and I met him kind of through this app and he's struggling I think you didn't really know him I think I need to drive to Texas to pick him up and drive him back and I'm going to move him into my house do you think that's crazy he asked me and everything in me wanted to say of course it's crazy you don't know if that guy's crazy you might be crazy and all these things everything in me wanted me to talk him out of it do you know what that's going to do to your family you're going to take that time why would you do that why don't you just throw a little bit of money at it like why but he felt god saying i want you to do this and i was almost whispering that same temptation to satan why don't you just kind of be a christian but not go through all that sacrifice stuff you can't do both I heard it said that's the essence of spiritual immaturity. That you can pursue Christ and still pursue a life of selfishness and lack of suffering. I mean, there it is right there. This is a key time. It says it can't be both. You're either living for me or living for yourself. Those roads come to a fork. And if that's the essence of spiritual immaturity, thinking that you can still live for yourself the good life and for him, he unpacks what is the essence of spiritual maturity. He continues. Let's read that. Then Jesus told his disciples, here's what a disciple is. If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. 
For what is it going to profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? And what shall a man give in return for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come with his angels in the glory of his Father. And then he will repay each person according to what he has done. Again, the important part of this book, he's laying out this is the essence of what a disciple is. You have the four Gospels. They're kind of like four biographies of Jesus' life. And whenever something, you know, they try to give us a fuller picture, so there's a lot of overlap, but they don't all cover the same thing. Anytime they all cover the same thing, you should make that note because it is significant. This isn't just something about Jesus he wants to know. This is the core of what he wants you to know. Dietrich Bonhoeffer wrote the book, monumental book, Cost of Discipleship, after reading this verse and seeing this. This is the core of what it means to be a disciple. It's not pray a prayer, come to church, and then God blesses you. It's letting go of everything and laying it at his feet and following him. The very core of being a disciple isn't going to church. It's sacrificing everything, saying, my whole life, it's yours. Take it. Whatever it is. That is what it means to be a disciple, to lay your life. That is your spiritual act of worship. Singing together is a part of it. Sacrificing everything and going wherever he tells you to go. That is what a disciple is. When you get that stimulus check, which is kind of funny about the stimulus check. You know, there's like that threshold, so you find out how much of your friends make good money, right? Like, what are you doing with your stimulus check? Like, I'm not getting one. Oh. I should have done what you've done. But let's be honest, you're not off the hook if you're above the threshold because your paycheck is kind of its own stimulus check, to be honest. So, but here's like, when you get that, what is your first response? My first response is, guess who's getting a patio? Because that pay, that, that money is for me. That was my first thought. What do I want to do with this? As opposed to getting that and saying, God, this is yours. What do you want me to do with it? It is all yours, you take it. I watched a great movie over the weekend. It was Free Burma Rangers. The guy was a special forces guy, but also a missionary kid. And combined the two, he would go into like war-torn areas to provide aid. He would go in, and I mean, there it's tons of live footage. He would go into, he was in Burma, I mean, that's the name, but he went to Iraq, and he would go into these crazy places to just save people's lives, literally dragging people out of gunfire. At great cost to himself. I mean, he has bullet wounds all over himself. Many people on his team were killed. Horrible for his mental health and his self-care. Is that a Jesus thing or not? I mean, to say, I don't care what happens to me. My life, I lay it down so I can save others. In the very beginning, he says, what we did, we just listened for the bullets and run towards them. Because that's where people were dying, and that's where life needed to happen. I mean, amazing, compelling story. I mean, literally getting shot so he can save others' lives. All of us look at that and say it's a compelling story. What a Jesus thing to do. We're quick to celebrate it and so slow to participate in it. 
When's the last time you looked at something horribly dangerous yourself and said, yes, God? He said over and over, we prayed and just said, yes. We pray and say, oh, that looks difficult. That might be stressful. Oh, I might lose some money. I might have to lose, you know, some pleasure in my life. That is not what a disciple is. A disciple is one that lays his life at the altar and says, you take it. I want to ask you this. I remember being asked this question. If they made, if someone made a movie about your life, would anybody want to watch it? I watched that story of this man who brought, they were doing VBC in the middle of, in the middle of Iraq. You could hear bullets just smacking against the wall as his children, his little girls, are doing VBC to share Christ. That's compelling. You ever see the movie about the guy? Man, he just loved golf and he made good money, so much money he didn't even get stimulus checks when the government passed him out. And man, he went on nice vacations like two times a year to like super nice places, drove really nice cars so that he could just have a nice life. And then the credits roll. That's a crappy movie, and that's the story almost all of us are trying to write. But that's not the story God calls us to. I mean, I think that's so huge why so much of the, the next generation is walking away from the church. We didn't show them sacrificial discipleship. We showed them selfishness and idolatry and put a covering and a coat of Christianity on top and said, here. And they were smart enough to know the difference. We served them the cake of selfishness and idolatry with a little bit of icing of Christian lingo on top and said, here, and they rejected it. And they said, you're no different than the world because so many of us weren't. You show them that and your kids will notice. Stop living for your kids and teaching your kids to sacrifice and live for the world so that the world would know Jesus. We're so desperately trying to fill ourselves. You feel empty, so you want to fill yourself. But ironically, to not feel empty, you need to empty yourself and allow him to flow through you. So what do we do with this? I want to close. What do we do with this idea of self-care and sacrifice. One, I want to encourage you to remove self. By that, I mean from the center of your life. This is how I've always seen it. I've shared this hundreds of times, and I want to share it with you. Be honest. Which of these is your life? Are you the left where it's self-directed? Now, God's still a part of your life. Now, you see, he's still around that circle, but ultimately, you are on the throne of your life. Jesus is outside your life and your decisions and actions are based off of you and what you want. If you're there, you will feel empty for the rest of your life. Your life may be easier, but it will be empty. Or is it on the right where you can be honest that your life, everything, is Christ-directed, yielding to him? In self-care, you do that so you can better serve him. Jesus is the center, and you see those two questions. Which is your life, and which do you want your life to be?
Maybe you need to place God back on the throne or maybe you need to put him on that throne for the first time, but you need to remove self and live for him or you will feel empty and purposeless for the rest of your life. Second, I want you to redeem self-care because it has its place. I just want you to redeem it. Some of you need to do it. You know, you are barely hanging on and you need to pull off on that rest stop and recharge so that you can keep just driving down that highway for him. But don't you find it interesting that so much of our self-care, we kind of like walk away from God and run to the world? We call these vacations. What did Jesus do? He retreated from the world and spent time with his father. But what do we do? We go spend a week and just take in and gorge ourselves and all that the world has to offer. I want your self-care to be soul care. Like you go on a vacation to get good time with your family, to recenter yourself on Christ, to remind yourself what your life is all about. I'm not opposed to going out to eat and all those things, but you dedicate that to him so that you can serve him better when you get back or you just into it for yourself. Like I get worn out and I think I just need more TV. Oh, if I could just have more time to just watch TV and veg out. That's crazy. I need to come to the living water of Christ and allow him to fill me. And lastly, I want you to rejoice and sacrifice. If you want to follow him and you lay your life down, what is he calling to you? What is he calling you into? To lay down for his sake. And it's in joy. This is what Paul says. Even if I am to be poured out as a drink offering upon the sacrificial offering of your faith, I'm glad and rejoice with you all. Stop trying to find yourself in going internal and more selfish to be fulfilled. If you want to fill yourself, stop filling yourself with the pleasures of this world. Your heart, your cup is broken. You can never fill it that way. But you can pour yourself out, sacrificing everything, and experience the joy of being used by God. What is he calling you into? Lay it down at his feet. Will you pray with me? Father, I don't say these words. I don't preach this sermon condemning anyone. Father, I think all of us need to hear this. It is so easy to focus on ourselves. But God, it's empty. It's empty trying to be more selfish and worry about myself more. I want to practice good self-care where it's just a rest stop where I refuel and I focus on you so that I can continue to lay my life down for you and ultimately feel the purpose for which I was created. God, help us to put you back on the throne of our lives. In Jesus' name, amen.